0: from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company.
1: Alright, here we go. Thursday, Cofield and Company, Silver 7's is the spot. Willie Ramirez, Cofield, Ari, a lot to get into today. Another big uh, announcement day for Las Vegas. We got the big Raiders game against the Chargers on the way on Sunday. Next couple of Vegas Golden Knights games are friggin' awesome in terms of the storylines. So much to get into. Let's do it.
0: It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA.
1: Turk and Revo, back, Willie. How fired up are you?
2: I'm fired up. I've been fired up all week for the revenge week, if you will, since Sunday. Winnipeg came to town with Stastny and Schmidt tonight, Reeves and Gallant. Saturday, Mark Andre Fleury had a little chat with Mark Andre last night, but and uh, you have to wait for the story. But oh, look at this embargo big, on the information. Big, uh, big game tonight because a lot of people are wondering if Revo is going to make good on doing something to get the crowd to boo him. He told uh, Adam Hill that he that's what he really wants is to be booed. And uh, he'll he'll take the initial love and adoration and ovation and the tribute video. I've been tipped off that there are two videos tonight. One for Gallant, possibly Mike Kelly. If Mike Kelly's still in COVID, then they're editing that out, and it'll just be Gallant. And then uh, Ryan Reeves will get his tribute video. So it should be a should be a fun crowd. I, I'm hoping for the electricity sake that it'll be a little better than what uh we saw the other night there were a lot of empty seats and it was you know they they play these different uh enticing videos to to get the crowd and then or they'll show clips from movie movies that catch your attention then it just stops and it says make some noise and they watch it and it the response wasn't as electric as it has been in the past
1: there were a lot of empty seats for what the Stasny uh, Schmidt. No, no,
2: no, 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 uh, Nashville. Oh, okay. Nashville.
1: Surprised by that?
2: Uh, just a little bit. Just the fact I, I I'm not as surprised as the empty seats as I am the as I was the sort of the energy. It, it just didn't have even even on the night right for for the national anthem. It just didn't have that same oomph. So I would expect that tonight will be better. And Saturday will be absolutely... I mean, this weekend is going to be fantastic between the return of Marc-Andre Fleury on Saturday and, of course, the NFL's final game on Sunday.
1: Reeves goes after Marshy. That would be... The crowd goes ballistic. They're pissed off at Ryan Reeves. They boo the hell out of him. Reeves goes after Robin Leonard to beat up Leonard. What does the crowd do if... Reeves goes after the starting goalie for the Vegas Golden Knights. What happens then?
2: It's going to take, it's going to have to take a, you know, I think Reeves is going to, I can't remember who was it that asked Braden McNabb today, um, you know, just in terms of, are you going to have to have your head on a swivel? Are you going to have, if you go in the corner, are you going to have to be, you know, he said, I think with when Ryan Reeves is on the other team, you you always have to pay attention. You always have to be aware of where he's at. And then someone asked him, okay, you two come in together, collide. One big hit, who's going down? And Braden was a little coy on that. You know, he's that's a big boy. you have to catch him off balance. So I think that Ryan Reeves is going to play his game. He's going to do it. He's... Always done, you know. The thing that'll be interesting is, Glant always, uh, not always. There was a certain point where he started his fourth line, the perceived fourth line, and it was to sort of get the get the energy going, get the hits going, see if you can get crack, get some cracks, get some hits, get some electricity, and then you follow with the misfit line of Marchesaw, Riley, and Carlson, and sort of just all all of a sudden just sort of send that energy level just up and over. I wonder if he'll start Glant or uh, if Glant will start Reeves tonight. And he'll take a shot. Who's he going to take a shot at that? Who's he going to take a hit? Who's he going to level? I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine. Ryan, you know, here's the thing. I've never been of the belief that Ryan Reeves is a dirty uh, player. I don't think that he's ever taken cheap shots. I think he's probably put a little extra into certain players um, that he doesn't like or players that you know maybe came after some Golden Knights and and maybe he's gone hunting. But they've always been clean and, and legitimate. Um, so I don't think he's going to come in and try to hurt anybody. But there may be a couple of shots here or there. I, I wonder if there's going to be someone that takes a run at Ryan Reeves just because. Why not? Let's do it. Right. If, there, if, there, if there was a prop bet on it, I, I may throw my money on Keegan Colasar.
1: Uh, big announcement today for Las Vegas. Well, we've uh, crossed another barrier, broken through another barrier. College sports forever with this uh, phony nonsense about, you know, Vegas ain't good for college sports. Well, we've crossed that one. Vegas announced, well, reports out that we'll be getting the CFP title game, Willie. Yeah. In 2025. That's pretty quick. 2025. And the title game will be on uh, January 6th or January 20th. Why such a big gap? That's just in case the CFP is expanded. So, January 6th or January 20th, 2025, college football title game. Next up,
2: Final Four. After that, who knows what. Sure, no surprise. Everything's Basketball coming. Final. The dominoes are following, Following. right? I mean, we've had, obviously, I mean, because the Golden Knights made it, there was no choice there. There's no naming a city, but the Stanley Cup's been here. Um, and the sports are just following as, as this town opens up its doors to pro sports and shows, how it can sort of cater to conventions. This has been a convention capital for so long, Um, and that's really what it is, right, when you host the Super Bowl, right? The NFL packs up its offices and moves here for two weeks. College football, the championship, you get your semifinals, you got a couple weeks, they pack up, they move to the season. You're catering, and it's almost like a convention for that little business or big business or that – community of, of, of operation whatever it may be and uh there's really is is there a better city to do it in is there a better city that could put something on better equipped better experience i i i would argue that there's not i mean other cities have put on super bowls for years yes obviously um and they're and they're used to it but vegas is here and vegas is now and this is the place that All sports in all capacities are going to want to bring their premier event to.
1: My God, can you imagine if uh, this was your one year you could spend the money and and go to a title game and you had to go to Indianapolis and then you find out Vegas is in a couple of years? What a freaking nightmare. Um, I'm excited for the NFL Week 18. Um, Listen, there's a lot to be debated over the the value of a Week 18, you know, the the health risk. I mean, it's hard to judge anything because of COVID. Um, I did see something weird today. Your uh, your guy uh, Tim Dahlberg, Did yeah. you see him complaining about the season being too long? I, I don't get this column.
2: I saw the column. I haven't really had a chance to digest it. Um, I've been just sort of wrapped up with with assignments. And I saw. Let well, me wrote, let me
1: read you the let me read you the crux yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, he says a uh, a second season clouded by COVID lurches to a relatively anticlimactic conclusion this weekend, but a conclusion nonetheless a few a uh, few playoff spots are still for grabs but mostly the games will be played without a look towards the postseason or a long look towards next season if the season seems long and it does you already know the reason why a 17th game seems both unnecessary and unnatural pushing back the super bowl to mid-february for no good purpose other than enriching billionaire nfl owners even more what what average person who watches sports thinks the season seems long and it uh, it and it does or if the season seemed long seems long. It does. I just, To me, this reminds me of the crap that we saw the last couple of weeks with people bitching about bowl games. We we're talking mostly about media and then smart asses on Twitter. And then meanwhile, all the bowl games did relatively good, if not boffo ratings. We as a media group, and I'm not saying we're all the same and that when people say that you're a-holes, we're not a monolith, okay? Um, but this is why we get the bad rap when people are like, do you actually enjoy covering? The stuff you cover? What do you mean? Who, who woke up this week and are like, yeah, we don't want another week of regular season football?
2: Well, they better get ready for
1: it. The war, I mean, the worst teams, maybe. Maybe the, maybe the writers who cover the worst teams. But a national columnist? And the other thing about this, too, is we're not supposed to be prisoners of the moment. We're not. We're supposed to be the ones who watch sports all the time. Because watch what happens, Willie, the next couple of years. With week 18, this year, all right, there's there's not a ton of games that mean a whole lot to the playoff race, right? Watch what happens the next couple of years. And then you'll get dudes like Dahlberg who'll be like, oh, this is great.
2: Well, what's going to happen when they eliminate another preseason game and all of a sudden there's 18 games? Could happen it's i mean that's i i, I, I honestly think that that's the direction that it's going to go i think i think eventually you're going to get you know you're going to get a couple of games i mean it used to be how many preseason games it used to be six preseason games and yeah. 14 regular season games so there's always 20 weeks it's it's the preseason games that are unnecessary it's the regular season games that people want um, I, none, I of, none, of, not,
1: none of that that the preseason thing none of that was mentioned in Dahlberg's column about this is actually a reward. You know, it's not every market gets the extra home game this year, but this is a reward for fans who are getting screwed into buying some stupid practice game. Now they actually get a real game. Let's follow up on this when we come back. We'll get into the Raiders' angles. Chargers, Raiders, big game. Derek Carr on the verge of playing in the biggest game of his career.
0: Nova Home Loans brings you trending at three. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer, 877-700-NOVA. Here's Carr, takes a snap, sprints off to the right, fires on the run. Jackpot, baby! Touchdown, Raiders! Hunter fro. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and company.
1: Going to need some of that. Week 18 game rematch. Remember, Chargers whooped up on the Raiders back in week four. Willie, Cofield, Silver Sevens on this Thursday. Willie, we finish up. We were just talking about uh, the AP column. You work for AP, but the AP column where uh, the writer was saying seasons too long. This week, unnecessary. Really? Come on, bro.
2: I don't think I. I, I don't think that it's been too long. And and the the um, when's the date of the Super Bowl? It's not mid-February. It's been. I mean, it's still what the first Sunday.
1: It got pushed back one week.
2: It got pushed back <laughs> one week. So. I mean, for marketing purposes and for 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 money. I mean, obviously, there's a, there are a lot of there are a lot of revenue generating beneficiaries, if you will, uh, that are happy. There are a lot. I mean, um, I, I personally it's, it's,
1: don't- it's the it's the same old crap. It is we get way too wrapped up in our schedule and that we're busy and instead of looking at it like the average fan does. You know what? It's a fun pass for another Sunday. It means the season gets extended even further. Uh, this is the you know the same group that would piss and moan that the you know going a couple extra weeks late on the NFL draft is a bad thing. None of it's a bad thing. Football rules this country. It rules the sports world. It rules sports radio. Cut it out. All right. So the setup for this game, Willie. How big is this start for Derek Carr?
2: It's the biggest start of his career. It's the biggest start of his career, um, because he's never gotten to play in the in the playoffs. Okay, the Raiders made it to the playoffs one season. He broke his leg second to last game, and he missed the one playoff game that they made it in what eighteen years, and in the in the eight years he's been in the NFL. So, um, you know, there are some people that say he's not an elite quarterback. There are some people that believe in his quote-unquote, air-quote, clutch gene. Um, He's got 29 game-winning drives to his credit. It's second most since he's come into the season to Matt Stafford, who has 30. He has been one of the guys who, as Rich Passaccia, Greg Olson, they've said, everything just kind of moves slow. Everything slows down for him, and he sees everything clear, that two-minute offense, and... Um, from the veterans that we've interviewed and the players we've interviewed the last couple of days, and then in the five game winning drive, last second dr- last second wins that he's been a part of this year. Four of them, Daniel Carlson kicked the game winning field goal, and then um, Zay Jones with the walk off in the season opener. But he has been a part, or obviously led those game winning drives in directing things. So now you have a situation where you're at home, where things haven't necessarily gone so well the second half of the season. You're playing an AFC West rival that beat up on you earlier in the year on national television, Monday night football game, and everything's on the line. I mean, in reality, with everything that this team has gone through this year and the fact that he's been the face of the franchise, steadily stayed as the constant to... Um, be the leader, be the captain in the locker room on and off the field with everything from preseason, the resignation of Mark Bedane, then the John Gruden emails, Rugs, Ruggs, Damon Arnett, now Nate Hobbs, and I forgot to say RIP Tina Tintor in the middle of that. Uh, through everything, Derek Carr has continued to be the leader of this team, and now with everything on his shoulders and – the fact that he's gone gone out and proven what he can do five times with last-second victories, uh, 29 times in eight seasons, to here it is. It's it's right there in front of you, in your home stadium. He said it after the Indianapolis game that as a kid, all he did was practice. he count down to himself in the street. He said, ask my mom and dad, three, two, one. One, and he'd take that shot for the last second win or he'd run out for the pass, I'm assuming, t- to catch the ball from his brother David. This is what everybody lives for when you when you want to be a professional football player. You want to be the guy on the receiving end. You want to be the quarterback that throws it. You want to be the place kicker that kicks it. Well, here it is. Because with everything that this team's been through and the second half collapses that we've all written about, now all you got to do is win the game. And all he really has to do is play efficiently. The defense has to come through. The special teams unit has to play good. The running backs have to step up. Everybody's got to play good in this game.
1: Derek Carr, I think our team's in a good place. We realize what's at stake this week. We realize what's been at stake the last couple of weeks. It's exciting. It really is. But I do have all the confidence in our team to be ready to play. Ari responds, uh-oh. Carr says he has all the confidence the Raiders will win Sunday. Even though I agree, I feel like whenever he says stuff like this before they play, the game ends up being really close or a loss. What's the deal, bro? He's got 29 fourth-quarter comebacks. Sure. What's your issue? No, I I, I think they're going to win, and I hope they're going to win, uh, contrary to your
2: comments on the rundown. I'm not a hater or any of that. But, um, yeah, whenever he makes these comments, though – Have you noticed? I don't have stats to back it up, but, like, I've noticed that he'll make comments like, I just know or I just have a feeling, and then sometimes that's not always the case. So I would just, as a leader, he is a good leader. I'm just saying as a leader, I would probably just, you know, focus on the task at hand and then talk about it after you get that win.
1: Willie? What's Ari's problem?
2: Oh, Ari's salty. You know. (laughs) I want to be a quarterback. Ari, Ari Salty, the kid took a hit yesterday on, on, on some Dave and Buster stuff. He Now all of a sudden he's he's got he, he's got opinions on NFL quarterbacks and when the game's on the line and keep your mouth shut. I mean, you know, stick to sports, I guess. That's what Ari's saying. Bruh. Bruh. Got to throw the bra on there. Ari Salty. What do you mean, do you mean
1: stick to st- – he did stick to sports in this one.
2: Well, I don't know. I just got to take. I, I, gotta I, believe, I, I, I was trying to come Martin. up with this. I'm a I was trying to come up with one-liners, cliches, whatever I could think of, just to just to get to, just to get under Ari's skin because it's 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 kind of what we do. You just say stick to producing. Stick to producing Ari. Yeah, there you go. Stick to producing. Right. Daily happy
0: hour starts at three with beers, well drinks, and margaritas just two seventy seven.
2: know ab and he
0: has receipts so to speak from medical officials, and he has text messages as he alluded to and it says that hey something is wrong seriously with my ankle and he releases those things like we know ab to do the tampa bay buccaneers and bruce arians are gonna have to answer a lot of questions now back to the william hill sportsbook inside silver sevens with cofield and
1: company yeah, sorry, Keyshawn. I don't trust A.B. Uh, I also don't trust Keyshawn to be objective because you remember how his career ended with the Buccaneers. They fired him in the middle of a season. So those things don't go away. So we'll find out soon. I guess if is going to have surgery, it should be any day now, right? Let's see if that actually happens. Xavier Pope is with us, attorney out of Chicago. He's up with Willie and Cofield. Xavier.
3: What's up, Dave? What's up?
1: All right, Xavier, I know you had a strong reaction to uh, the injury stuff that came out from A.B. yesterday. Now that we've heard some more of the stories from both sides here, where are you now in the Antonio Brown Buccaneers' flap?
4: I think there's like a little bit of both. Uh, uh, what, it, what it appears to me, uh, it, you know, A.B. didn't practice during the week, right? We, are, we all know that. Uh, we all know of some of the issues involved with NFL painkillers and, and things of that nature, um, it appears as if Antonio Brown may have been told to go into a game, uh, refused to go into the game, and then he was released seemingly right on the sideline. Um, and uh, and it, Antonio Brown has some claims against the team um, that may seem legitimate that the NFLPA might want to address because they don't want to set that type of precedent for other players. Um, I think that a lot of us responded really, really to quickly, even myself, uh, admittedly, because of some of Antonio Brown's antics on and off the field. Um, but it looks like there's something more there. Is it as nefarious as Antonio Brown is claiming it? I posted something from a, from a trainer that really didn't seem that nefarious, in my opinion. Um, so it may not be as as bad as Antonio Brown is saying, but it's definitely something there to look at, and I think the NFLPA would be wise to be able to take up his cause.
2: Xavier, well, let me let me feed off that and just ask you, from a civil standpoint, can he? Is there? I don't even know what the, what it would be. The claim would be, but where he's being singled out and isolated. Let's say they said to Bruce, Arian, or Bruce Arians says, you know, well, he said he didn't want to go in. So I told him to get off field. Whatever it was, are they going to do that to any other player? If Tom Brady says my wrist hurts, I'm not going in. They're, well, the trainer checked you out at halftime. You're fine. You can go in. No, my wrist hurts. I'm not going in. Well, then get off the field. He's not telling Tom Brady to leave. Can he? Is there something there where he can actually claim that he was being singled out or isolated?
4: That Antonio Brown would be wise to take that up with the grievance versus, that, versus the, the Tampa Bay bus uh, to be able to sort that out. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that that probably is the next step for him is to file a grievance um, for his release and then maybe take some other legal avenues as it goes from there. But that, that's what it appears what Antonio Brown is doing. He's being pretty public about what's happened because the public perception but Antonio Brown's a bad guy. He faked a vaccination card. He comes back on the field and he just he storms off. He seems, people were talking about his mental health. Uh, and he was, he was, the, the image of him was this out of control, uh, player who really maybe needed some help. And even the way Tom Brady responded, uh, seemed really sympathetic at the time. Now it seems to be a little bit more there. We really to figure out what's going on. And, uh, because it was such a wild scenario on the sideline, i have never seen anything like it. Now we're seeing more fallout from this drama with Antonio Brown and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
1: From the Bucs' side, I'm not saying they're going to sue for defamation, but um, if I, I just I wonder the wisdom of Antonio Brown with his social media um, when he alleges a massive cover up and he says an MRI on his ankle showed broken bone fragments stuck in my ankle. A ligament torn from the bone, cartilage loss. Like, at some point, is he going to have to produce that MRI?
4: Well, that's a part of this discovery. I, I don't think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would sue Antonio Brown for defamation. Uh, Antonio Brown is just a, another cog in the NFL engine. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can find whoever they want to be able to replace him to continue on and, get, and try to get a second ring um, for Tom Brady in his waning years playing quarterback in the National Football League. I, I just don't think they'll spend they'll enough time or effort in it. I think it starts right now with some sort of grievance um, process for Antonio Brown. Uh, whether he, he's damaging himself in terms of publishing this information, he has nothing to lose. This is pretty much the last stop for Antonio Brown. Uh, he has uh, had so many issues that have followed him on the field. And frankly, he really hasn't produced enough on the field since he's the different times he's been back, really to warn any headaches for him having to stay. Now, someone tweeted out that uh, that Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, was had him on the team for nine years, and it was a miracle. Uh, it's, it's a <laughs> lot of credit to that. I mean, he yeah. never had a, yeah. he's never had a losing season. Plus, he had Antonio Brown for nine years.
1: Impressive. Xavier Pope is up with us here on a Thursday. What do you think of the news that came out of uh, Urban Meyer or Ohio State or whatever happened here, using a an image years ago, Trayvon Martin, to express their policy to their freshmen about wearing hoods? Well,
4: I think that Urban Meyer said he didn't know. He wasn't aware. He wasn't in the meeting when that uh, was a staffer uh, uh, was there in terms of uh, there with Ohio State. It it it, I, it it happens a lot when there are different staffers that are that deal directly with players that do certain things. There is no proof that shows that Urban Meyer ordered this staffer to do this. Um, maybe Urban Meyer was made aware of what happened, and but he says, "I just found out about this." I mean, it, it makes some sense, um, but um, based on what we've heard about him taking a kicker. Uh, to some of the things he said about his coaches, to some of his behavior off the field. Uh, it's really hard to take Urban Meyer's word for it when every time we look up, there's something more coming out about the type of guy he was, the type of coach he is, and the type of human being he, he, he wound up being.
1: Right. Uh, if you're making that much money, the buck has to stop somewhere, so it's your responsibility. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that he didn't know about it. Uh, it's you know, it's it's your responsibility to know about everything that goes on in the program. And you know what? Um, I, in the future, I don't want to hear when uh, someone goes after Daniel Snyder for that uh, barrier breaking and fans falling out of the field and you know nearly crushing a photographer and nearly taking out Jalen Hurts. Uh, I don't want to hear from Dan Snyder. You know, I, I, it's not my responsibility. It's your stadium. It's your responsibility. What do you think about Jalen Hurts sending out a letter to the football team saying, uh, "You know what? Let's look into this." Did everyone watched what happened.
4: Jalen Hurts, obviously he is a very nimble quarterback, could have been seriously hurt from stands, from people in the stands falling on top of them. The people that were there could have been seriously hurt or died. Um, the responsibility is on, obviously, the stadium complex owner uh, to be able to take care to make sure fans aren't injured in the stadium. But the Washington football team doesn't have a, a significant track record in terms of dealing with issues Involving liabilities associated with the team, whether it's whether it's cheerleaders or whether it's uh, whether it's race or whether it's uh, the, the name of the football team or whether it's uh, getting rules slotted by them by the National Football League to be able to get maintain some sort of funding and with their team when they have some of the issues they have, whether it's, it's uh, revealing the the nature of the investigation into their team. So, Jalen hurts. Uh, Standing up being the guy who calls out the team, I think that was really important because you shouldn't expect to come to a visitor's uh, arena and you put yourself in a position to be hurt by people falling out of the stands. It's unconscionable, and I think that he was was right to stand up for that.
1: Sticking with the NFL and one of the hot-button issues, that I'll come up here in uh, just a couple of weeks, once we get past uh, Black Monday when a bunch of coaches are fired, then we're going to see maybe the same path we've gone down uh, many times over the years where there isn't a whole lot of diversity added to the mix with NFL coaches. I, I wanted to get your take on the uh, the story in the defector about nepotism in the NFL coaching ranks and the numbers being as high as 14% of coaches have some family tie to the NFL. Yeah, I, 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 I think that that number seems a little bit low.
4: I'm actually surprised it was that low. Uh, and we've seen coaching trees that start from from families, uh, and uh, I mean, we over and over and over again, I mean, and and that's that's what happens in the National Football League. But I, I tweeted this out in terms of some of the hires, that questionable hires, have with with the Giants and with the, the Panthers over the last couple of years, where these coaches that didn't necessarily have um, the the same same type of the track record, in my opinion. And say a, a, a Jim Caldwell or an Eric enemy who should have been called up a long time ago to coach uh, NFL teams, now have to be, a, be on, on the back burner. And these guys turn around and don't actually become good coaches. Um, and so it, the nepotism makes sense from a standpoint of the connections within the league. But when it comes down to what happens to success on the field, is it translating to success on the field? I don't see it happening, and I think the opportunities. are It really have so many jobs in national football league. Thirty-two jobs. Those jobs have to go to the best guy for the job, regardless of what he looks like. It has to be about their background, their experience, coaching, their the ability to be able to motivate motivate people, and to be able to get the best success out of a team, not who they
1: knew or, uh, or not who they're related to. David Pope is up with us. Uh, also, I got to get your take on uh, The Athletic. Apparently, it's going to be sold to the New York Times. You remember The Athletics' mantra when it started, they were going to bleed all the local papers dry. Um, as it turns out, they're now in a position to be sold to The Times. So, what's your take on this one?
4: Uh, BC is a really strong, powerful component of, of media. Um, we've seen it with The Athletic. Uh, now, $550 million, uh, and they t- took a lot of local. Sports writers and put them on their team and put them on a national site. And now they're with a national paper in the New York Times. How will that impact jobs there? With those, with those that work for the Athletic, be allowed to unionize now that they're with the New York Times? Will uh, how will wages and salaries? What 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 type of impact will that have on the wider world of sports coverage? Um, I think it's, it's important. I full disclaimer: I was the first sports legal analyst to write for the Athletic, um, and and I was the first last for legal analysts to write for The Athletic. Um, I know several people who work for The Athletic um, that are friends of mine. I, I think that um, what the output of The Athletic is excellent. Um, um, but and is it at the expense of local papers? Is it, is it at the expense of jobs? Is it, is it at the expense of of, of, of labor force uh, in terms of sports writing and sports media? I mean, that's something that remains to be seen, but we... Hope that it isn't that way, and uh, I think that in the future we'll see what happens with New York Times and the Athletic, and uh, and what they do. But this is a this is something that shows who dollars are worth it, who's worth investing in, and uh, it shows the importance of where we're going in in media. And I think that is, who will it squeeze out? Um, that I think that remains to be seen. Hopefully, it doesn't.
1: Twitter Spaces on Tuesday and Thursday, right, Xavier?
4: That's right. 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. We got a new episode of Suit Up News video that's dropping right before uh, our Spaces airs. Please tune in.
1: Uh, Last one. Give me your take on what's happening with uh, Djokovic and the Australian Open and the fact that they were going to give him an exemption. I saw a good retweet you sent out that, uh, remember, Naomi Osaka was forced out of majors because she wouldn't do media. Meanwhile, this guy was getting an exemption. Well,
4: they, they didn't anticipate how upset the Australians would get over this. I, I follow a lot of Australian media, uh, and the people there were really upset. I mean, there's a lot of backlash going on in, ter- in terms of some of the, of the lockdowns that they've had. They've had some really, restrict- really restrictive um, rules there in, in Australia. And the fact that someone could come in from the outside without the rules was just not taken well by the Australians, and that's what happened. Uh, it wasn't a popular move by that place at all. Uh, but Naomi Osaka being pushed out because she wouldn't talk to media. And Djokovic, who who kind of low-key shaded her, uh, is the guy who gets less in. I don't care if it's for the record. Um, it's about it's about setting the proper example
1: in the middle of a pandemic to protect lives. Xavier, good spot, man. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too, guys. Have a good one. There he is. Xavier Pope, our attorney friend out of Chicago. On the way back, we'll get to the Chargers side of things in the Chargers-Raiders game. Former San Diego Charger center Nick Hardwick on the way.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Well, we always meet with, both Gus and I meet with Rich on keys to winning the game and, and you know, going into the game, how we think it's going to play out. So without giving away, you know, what, what we're planning on doing, that's, always, that's already discussed before the game even begins in terms of uh, our strategy and, and, and approach to winning the football game, but... You know, again, every game's different. Every opponent's different. And a lot of different ways to win the game. And and, uh, we're preparing right now to give our best effort to win it. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Ole. Willie. Cofield. That was Ole on the way back. Chargers on deck. First time around for the Raiders, didn't go that well. Much has changed, though, much has changed. Nick Hardwick, former Charger, is all over the Chargers scene, is up with Cofield and Company here in Vegas, so he's nice enough to uh, give us a couple minutes. How you doing, Nick?
3: What's going on, guys?
1: Uh, What's going on for us is pretty incredible because uh, we figured the Raiders were left for dead three weeks ago. Not really sure how they're doing this, but they're doing it. You know,
3: they are amazing. They're, they are a super resilient ball club with really all that they've been through this year. I mean, you can go chronicle it, and I'm sure you guys have ad nauseum. But for them to still be in the fight and to have such a huge victory against the Indianapolis Colts last week, and for Rich Passaccia, one of my former coaches, one of my favorite all-time coaches, the rally in the troop, I'm really happy for him, Greg Olson. Uh, Gus Bradley, just—they are a very tough bunch, and I'm sure it's going to be one heck of a tangle this weekend.
2: Is it—is it surprising to you that it seems as if the Raiders have sort of used their off-field distractions and adversity somewhat to their strength because it—it—it—it. It, 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 seemingly affected them during a one and five stretch, but now all of a sudden they've somewhat bonded. It's almost as if everything that's happened is fueling this bond within the locker room. Yeah.
3: I think you can, you can always look at turmoil or you can always look at obstacles from a positive standpoint or from a negative standpoint. And I, I told you before, I love Rich Passaccia and I love his ability to bring a group together and to really get them to feed off of one another And he's one of the best coaches that I've ever been around at any level, really, at at getting the group to buy in. And he's very genuine, very authentic. And I know the rest of his coaching staff is the same way. And I was expecting them to use at least the early ones as a moment to come together. But then it just seemed like it kept happening. It kept happening. And I thought, even the best coach can't hold this together, and here they are, and Week 18, and my goodness, the NFL couldn't have drawn this matchup any better than they did.
2: One of the things that the veterans that were brought in on the defensive side, they said that, that when asked, you know, why do you want to play for Gus Bradley? What makes this defense, And, and a lot of it was the simplistic system that he has in place, and then within always carrying that over with everywhere he's gone. So a lot of the guys that he brought in, was like picking up where we left off. Well, the Chargers did a good job in, in the first matchup. What does Bradley have to do differently, or do you, would you expect him to do something differently to make sure that they're not – that that the Chargers offense, offense isn't reading what they've already seen and what the 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 team as a whole knows?
3: Yeah, and that's, that's the unique challenge, right? The Chargers are – a, a team that has many threats. They can beat you underneath with Keenan Allen, across the middle with Mike Williams, on the edges with Mike. They've got Austin Eckler, who's incredibly dynamic out of the backfield. They've got a couple of young receivers who can stretch the field vertically. And I think the um, the challenge, right, is keeping within yourself and doing what you do well and allowing your guys to play within the system that they've been playing in the entire season, but working in enough wrinkles and enough new looks and confusing Justin Herbert and this offensive line just enough to be able to make the plays at the critical moments. And then I think this game's going to come down to the team that doesn't beat themselves. And so the team that's not penalized, uh, that doesn't have mental assignment errors, that isn't busting on the field, that isn't leaving guys running wide open, Because there's, on both sides of the ball, on both teams, there's adequate players and playmakers to really make this one heck of a contest. But I I really do think it comes down to, especially in playoff football, and let's make no mistake, this is a playoff football game, the team that makes the fewest mistakes and handles their emotions the best and plays with great focus and attention to detail and then makes those plays when it's time to make the plays. You've got the players. Can they make it? Do they make it? Uh, that's usually what it boils down
2: to. Speaking of Nick Hardwick, former Charger center and the Hardwick podcast, Nick, you you, you mentioned which team isn't going to beat itself, and, and looking over the defensive, so, sort of the complexion of, of the Chargers defense throughout this season, there have been hiccups. Even though they pulled out wins, they gave up 42 to the Browns, um, they gave up. Uh, 34 to the chiefs they give up 41 in a loss in houston um what is it how how can the chart what are the chargers what are those issues when they are failing on defense where the raiders where they have to be careful of the raiders taking advantage because Carr has been able to utilize a number of different weapons this year and now we're seeing the running game come full circle jacobs had his first hundred yard game a couple of weeks ago uh, with a balanced offensive attack what kind of chargers defense can the raiders expect
3: Yeah, I think that's what you're you're pointing to, the run game. And that's been the Chargers' weakness all year. I think they've come up from the bottom from 32 and maybe they're at 30th right now. And they aren't performing very well on third down, obviously. They're ranked 32nd in the league, and you know there's only 32 teams. And when opponents are able to establish the run and able to really take it to this Chargers defense, well, you guys know in AFC West, you've got to be really built to, to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs are small, they're lightning fast, and that speed is incredibly imposing. And so the Chargers have opted really by the design of the roster. Other than Joey Bosa uh, up front and a couple of other guys, they've opted to go rather small especially at that linebacker position. So it's very challenging for them when a team decides to bow their neck and grit their teeth and just run the football and stay committed to the run and have success with the run. It's difficult for them to slow that down. Now, Brandon Staley says, that's okay. We'll we'll let them have that. We're not going to get beat. We're not going to get beat over the top. No big plays. And that's been their real commitment But as you know, the best defense is a good offense. And if Justin Herbert's not on the field, and if they can't find a rhythm offensively, if Derek Carr and this Raiders offense and offensive line can establish the run and keep Justin Herbert off the field, I mean, you can score as many points as you want sitting on that sideline, but we're going to control the clock we're going to control the ball, and eventually we're going to wear you down. So in a close game, and I think you want this to be a, a low-scoring, close, ugly game, and I think the Raiders are probably aiming to beat the Chargers on special teams, as with having a special teams coordinator as your head coach to establish the run, to make it ugly, and to count on Daniel Carlson late in the game to make a heroic field goal. And, and I would imagine that's, I don't know the details of the game plan, but I would imagine it's something like that.
1: Nick, what do you think about what uh, Bosa said about Derek Carr after the first game, saying that he crumbles under pressure? And then, I don't know, I personally thought some of the reaction from some of the football media was completely silly, like they were insulted by Joey Bosa. That's part of the game, isn't it?
2: <laughs> I
3: See, I, I miss that part of the game. I miss a player being honest and just being forthright. and He he gave an honest opinion. You want honest opinions, and he gave an honest opinion. And it's like, I can't believe you said that. It's like, well, you asked the question. And so, personally, I love it. I think this rivalry is designed on hatred. I mean, that's the one thing that if we could have passed anything down to the generations past us is that, Raider week was a very special week and I can't even hardly say it just regular Raider week because every time I hear it in my head, I hear Marty Schottenheimer over and over again calling it Raider week. And he started that messaging from the minute that we broke down in the locker room after our opponent the week before. And it didn't matter if it was a winner or a loss. It was on to the Raiders and we knew exactly. What that meant for us. So to bring a little bit of that hatred and the rivalry back, I think that's good. And hey, Derek Carr. He, honestly, I think he is prone to make mistakes in clutch situations, but he's also prone to being resilient and bouncing back from those and overcoming some of those mistakes. So he's. Uh, he's. I think he's a tough. I think he's a resilient quarterback. And when he made a mistake like he did against Indianapolis Colts last week and he goes over and he collects himself and he's got a head in his hands and who knows what prayer he was saying. He came back out and he turned that ball loose again and they ended up closing the game out on the Indianapolis Colts. So does he get a little reckless at times? Sure. But does he make really dynamic plays that change the complexion of the game? Absolutely. He has both capabilities
1: in him. What's the uh, latest message you're sending out with uh, Hardwick Life? (laughs)
3: the latest message you know it's like the least sexy thing but it's it's just moderation i mean it's so funny like everything in the diet and nutrition and the fitness world is extreme this, extreme that i see people going all january eating only meat or you know you got to go vegan or you got to go carnivore it's like you don't have to go all or nothing anything all you got to do is just don't eat too much and move a little bit more than you are right now and Everything's going to be fine. We've existed as humans, healthfully, for a very long time. We just have to kind of get back to some of our roots.
2: Nick, we're up against it, but i got to ask you, um, during your career, you I, I believe that John Madden was in the booth for, for a uh, little bit of time there during your career. They are honoring him on Sunday, and I would imagine there's going to be a lot of emotion running through that. Just your thoughts on this past yeah. week since the passing of John Madden.
3: Yeah, it's going to be an incredibly touching ceremony, I would imagine. And I also have to imagine that it's going to fuel the players on the Raiders because there's not many organizations that have such a connection to their past as the Raiders, and it doesn't matter what city they're playing in. Organizationally, they have done a tremendous job of keeping their alumni involved, passing down the knowledge and the history And so, to me, this is a really scary game as a former Charger cheering for my boys with all the Raiders have been through, the way they've been able to get it together at the end of the season, and plus having John Madden pass away recently, it just feels almost fateful that the Raiders may win this game.
1: Nick, awesome spot, man. We appreciate you carving out some time for us. Thank you so much.
3: Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Anytime.
1: There he is, Nick Hardwick, 11 years in the NFL, Chargers center, a uh, guy at whatever he was, 305 pounds. And now you look at him, and at 6'4", 6'5", he's, uh, I don't know what he is now, about 220. Uh, got to follow, Willie. Got follow, to gotta follow. I'm not saying slim down, Willie, but uh, we'll continue on the uh, Raiders-Chargers preview. It's a Thursday. we got just another uh, show and a half to get to it, and we'll follow up on uh, Joey Bosa, who did make more comments about Carr today.
0: At the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, sign up for the mobile vetting app and get $50 added to your account.